chapter 12. 1 Kings chapter 12. We don't have a really exciting title, but we do have a lesson that will give us some wisdom, I believe. And 1 Kings chapter 12, I would like to begin reading with verse number 1. The key verse will be verse number 8. 1 Kings 12, verse 1. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel were come to Shechem to make him king. It came to pass when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who was yet in Egypt, heard of it, for he was fled from the presence of King Solomon, and Jeroboam dwelt in Egypt, that they sent and called him. Jeroboam and all the congregation of Israel came and spake to Rehoboam, saying, Your father made our yoke grievous. Now therefore make thou the grievous service of thy father and his heavy yoke which he put upon us lighter, and we will serve you. He said unto them, Depart yet for three days, then come again to me, and the people departed. King Rehoboam consulted with the old men that stood before Solomon his father while he yet lived, and said, How do you advise that I may answer this people? And they spake unto him, saying, If thou wilt be a servant unto this people this day, and wilt serve them, and answer them, and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. But he forsook the counsel of the old men which they had given him, and consulted with the young men that were grown up with him, and which stood before him. So the title of the study tonight is simply Rehoboam's Counselors. I want to show you what can happen when we make just one bad decision. Every decision we make has consequences. And whether the consequences are going to be good or bad has everything to do with whether or not we make a good or bad decision. So let's have a word of prayer. Father, we're grateful again for the opportunity to fellowship. There is a lot of wisdom in your word, and we pray that you would give us an understanding heart tonight to be able to apply these truths to our everyday life. And Lord, even if we don't remember everything that's said tonight, let something stick inside of us, oh God. Thank you for giving your son. We know that Christ has become wisdom to us. We're happy that he died on the cross for our sins. And so, Lord, let this lesson be a light that radiates and shines on the path on which we're traveling. These things we pray for in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Proverbs 1, verse 5 says, A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. You can tell a lot about people by the kind of people they have around them. You can tell a lot about them by the kind of people that speak into their lives. Some people are not teachable at all. Some people are teachable, but they receive instruction from the wrong people. So it's important from this lesson to pay attention to the manner in which these things kind of fell into place. In chapter 11 of 1 Kings, we do need to provide some background, starting with verse 29. I'm not going to read all these verses, but I'm just going to kind of summarize them, and you can see them as you look in the text. This gentleman by the name of Jeroboam was a rival to Solomon. The reason for that is at the beginning of chapter 11, it says Solomon loved many women, and they taught him to live in idolatry. Because he forsook the path of his father David and did not seek God with his whole heart, the scripture says a number of 
adversaries or opponents were raised up against Solomon. So that that tells us something that's very, very true. If a person tries to live a mixed life, and a person tries to bring in paganism alongside godliness, then you, you can expect trouble. You know, old folks used to say you can't walk the fence if you're going to serve God. You straddle the fence, you, you end up hurting yourself. So you either get both feet in the kingdom or you end up in trouble. You can't have one in the kingdom and one in the world and expect to be very pleased. You're going to always be unhappy because your conscience is going to be condemning you. Solomon's problem was the Lord was displeased with him. And chapter 11 gives us a number of different rivals that the Lord elevated. Verse 29 starts with this man Jeroboam and it tells us a prophet came to him and saw that he had a new garment on. And that prophet took that garment and tore it in 12 pieces. Now there were 12 tribes for the children of Israel. When he tore it in 12 pieces, he gave 10 pieces to Jeroboam. And then he kept back two. And then he goes on to explain to Jeroboam that 10 pieces in verse 31 are going to belong to you. You're going to be a person who reigns and rules. Now they were isolated and the prophet told him that eventually he would become king. But Jeroboam must have told someone or the prophet told someone because it got back to Solomon. And Solomon then started persecuting this man and drove him into Egypt. So in ancient times, you could not have a lot of people that were trying to ascend to the throne. You would kill your brother. Some people would kill their children. Some would murder their parents. You see what we have in modern times with the man over in North Korea. He, he's taken out his own siblings and family members because there's something about the ascendancy to power and prestige that a person doesn't want to share that. And once you get put in a position of power, you don't want to lose it. And, and older people get sometimes they become more paranoid. So you just start picking off everybody you think is a problem. So in the book of Kings and Chronicles, you see this on a scale that's fairly big. Well, the last three verses of 1 Kings 11 tells us that Solomon died. That brings up another point. This man reigned for 40 years. and Despite the fact he was on the throne for four decades, even he died. It doesn't matter how long somebody's in a position of power, every king, every ruler, every president, good or bad, eventually they pass away. But when they do, the citizenry, they still have to go on and continue, and hopefully they'll go on and continue loving God. No matter how bad a ruler is, he, he, he won't last forever. Nobody's eternal. Nobody's eternal. And a person who will not do what God wants them to do, they certainly will end up in trouble. So that, that's the background to this, because Solomon is Rehoboam's father. And once Solomon died, it was automatic. Rehoboam was going to be king. But what also was automatic was that the prophecy that Ahijah had given to Jeroboam was now in effect. And somebody sent word to Jeroboam and said, look, uh, Solomon has died. If you're going to become king, this is your opportunity. You need to get here as fast as you can. And so he came out of Egypt as quick as he could. And you can see in verse three, he's part of that delegation that comes to Rehoboam. And they said, look, your father taxed us so badly. 
that we're just tired of it. And, and, and we're saying, look, now he, he built all kinds of chariots and stables for his horses, and he built an elaborate kingdom, and he built temples and palaces for his wives, and he taxed us. We do not want to continue like this. Could you please lighten the burden? I can't think of anybody who wouldn't like to see their taxes go down. Yeah. I have a friend of mine who was telling me here not too long ago, and he's a minister. And for some reason or another, every year at the end of the year, he ends up owing a whole lot of money. And this year, he ends up owing something like thirteen, fourteen, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 to the IRS. Well, when that continues to accumulate over a period of years, and you're unable through that year to pay that off, I mean, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And so he told me, he said, I don't even understand our tax system. He said, how in the world is it that I end up having to pay all of this money every year and, and I'm not even making all of that money as a, as a preacher? I said, well, those people who established the laws for the taxes aren't really thinking about that. They are thinking about how they can get more money out of our pocket so they can spend it any way that they want. So the delegation here in verse 3 says, can you lighten the, the situation here. So he says, give me three days. And that's, that's reasonable. Give me 72 hours to consult with some people. So if you're, if you're faced with a challenge and you've got people who are disgruntled and they're approaching you, telling you that they're unhappy, then the last thing you want to do is just disregard them and act like it's not important. They wouldn't be coming to you if it wasn't important. And when someone says to you, can, can I sit down and talk with you about something that's on my heart? They're doing that because it's important to them. So don't, don't just brush them off like it's not of any significance. So what did Rehoboam do? He called in his father's counselors, people that he knew had led his father, people that had been close to his dad, people that he no doubt had known since he was an infant and had known him since he was young. And he listened to what they said, and they said, you should speak kind words to them. They'll serve you forever. Think of that. These men were trying to give him the kind of wisdom they had given Solomon, which kept Solomon living in a time of peace where there wasn't any revolt or any kind of rebellion. The scripture says a soft answer turns away wrath. Sometimes you can get people to do things they would not normally want to do just by speaking to them kindly. If you want to turn somebody off quick, raise your voice. Or say something that cuts them. Or demean them or degrade them. They said, here's how we advise you. We're giving you our counsel and this is exactly what you should do. These people serve you forever. But verse 8 says, he did not listen to the old people. He forsook their counsel and went to the young people. Now here's where the problem begins. Why is it that a king who's young would not want to listen to people who've already been in a, in, a, in a position of power for four decades, but rather listen to people that are his own age, that he was raised with? This is the problem. And when we forsake the counsel and the wisdom of our elders, we end up in trouble. But we see that even today. Many young people do not have a desire to spend long and lengthy periods of time 
in the presence of their grandparents. Now, I don't know, maybe you might have been the same way when you were young as a teenager. But I know I, I was tickled to spend time with my grandma and grandpa for them to babysit me and be around them. I realize that people live in different generations and their thinking is different. But, but presently, we, we have a society that is so focused on youth and young people that we cast aside the elderly. I see this in, in nearly every aspect of the world. You turn on the television and you look at the experts that are on your news channels. There are people that are normally in their late 20s, sometimes early 30s, and they're supposedly political experts, uh, military experts. These people don't know anything. They haven't even been around anywhere to to know anything, but they're the experts and they're setting policy. And you wonder, why is our nation making one decision after another? Because we've come to understand that with the camera, it needs to be somebody who's younger and who's attractive. So in, in older times, your press secretary normally wasn't in their 30s, you see, or 20s. You had somebody who was established, older, had a bit of wisdom. The moment we turn from forsaking the counsel of the, the elderly, then naturally things start going down. And one of the curses of the Old Testament that I think was in the book of Isaiah, when the Lord spoke to the children of Israel, he said to them, because of their disobedience, he would have children be brought up who would govern them. Now think about that, would govern them. Most of our churches, oh, maybe that's, that's too, too big of a generalization, but many churches in America today, they have all kinds of programs and plans for young people. They don't have a whole lot for older people. The people who've gained in wisdom, the people who laid the foundation, the people that tithed and were faithful, now cast off to the side. Most, uh, the, the, average, the average person's life can be divided up into three different schemes. And I always tell this to young people when I'm talking to them in commencements and graduations, so I give it to you now. The first period of a person's life is the first 27, 28 years of their life. That's when they're being educated. That's when they're going to school. That's when they're learning a whole lot of stuff. The second period is from 28 to about 65 or so. That's when they're getting married, having kids, acquiring real estate. People are working hard, trying to uh, just, just get ahead, purchase homes and things like that. And they're getting ready for that winter season that's going to start at about 65. Because at that time, most people are not trying to get a new car note or a house note. They're looking to ease into retirement. But it's at that point in that third season where they've really gained enough through life experiences where they can give back to the grandkids and the great-great-grandkids. And when we turn and say, I don't want to hear what the elderly people are counseling, then that's a bad thing. So our young people, we have the wrong heroes today. We, the, the young people today, they like, they like their, uh, their singers, you know, some of these athletes, you know, the ones that, that take the knee during the national anthem and all that kind of stuff. And they got the, their uh, pictures on the wall in the, the bedroom, but the, the real heroes they ought to have would, would be grandma and grandpa that just celebrated 50 or 60 years of marriage. And they ought to have a life-size photo of them on that wall. See, those are the ones they ought to be thinking about. So this, this gentleman here, because he forsakes the counsel of the old man, notice then uh, he, he goes around to the young people in verse 10, 
that had grown up with him. See, he had a relationship with them. He knew them. They knew him. And naturally, they're going to say what he wants to hear. Because they were all raised together. And sometimes we need to hear, whether we like it or not, we need to hear what we don't want to hear. See? That, that scripture says, iron sharpens iron. Sometimes we, we think we're greater than we are. We think our temperament and personality is better than it is. And then we get angry and upset if we're around somebody and they explain to us that uh, you, you need to make an adjustment there. That's a problem. And that's a, that's a very important thing. If you surround yourself with people who only tell you what you want to hear, then that is a good demonstration of the fact that you really don't want to grow in grace and in knowledge. Yeah. Because the, the only way muscles get bigger is they have to have resistance. See? Gotta have resistance. And if, uh, if a little sapling is going to be planted in the ground, the only way that thing is ever going to become a big, tall oak tree or something like that, it's got to be able to endure all the diverse winds that come and blows it back and forth. And you've got to be able to withstand the words that come to you in the conversation that you may have to have, even if you don't like them. So in some jobs, the employer will bring the employee in for a performance review. And have you ever had to endure one of those? Just holding your breath the whole time. Oh, my Lord. And, 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 and you've got to sit there, <clears throat> and you don't know what's going to be said, but you're hoping, of course, that what is said is favorable to you. But if the person who's doing the performance review, if it's somebody that you respect, then the chances are very good, even if they say something you don't like, you're probably going to take it to heart. But if it's somebody you don't respect that you know plays favorites, and they're just opposed to you because of where you're from, because of who you're connected to, who you're married to, you're not going to listen to anything that they have to say. This man was setting himself up for failure the moment he forsook the counsel of the elderly because he found some people that would tell him what he wanted to hear because they wanted access to him. See, access is power many times. Look at verse 10 again, the second half of it. Here's what you say. Your father made our yoke heavy, <laughs> but you wanted to, want us to make it lighter. My little finger is going to be thicker than my father's loin. That, that's a that's a euphemism. And, and, and he's basically saying, if if you think it was bad under Solomon, you wait till I get started. If you thought Solomon taxed you heavily, you wait to see what I'm going to do. And you're going to submit. And that's all there is to it. And that's what this young man did. And so. Verse 12, Jeroboam and all the people. They came the king, in verse 13, answered the people roughly. Remember what the older people said? Talk to them kindly. See? Be nice to them. Be nice to them. The king walked out there with an attitude, and he spoke to them harshly and in rough tones. And when it was all over, the people, in verse 16 and 17, said, You know what? We don't even have to put up with this. Everybody, let's just go back home. We don't have to be a part of this. And so that's exactly what they did. So here's where the rebellion started. And a man that had a united kingdom under David, Saul, Solomon, 
now has watched his kingdom divide so that ten tribes go with Jeroboam and Rehoboam is left now with only two. He's got Judah and then he's got Benjamin because Benjamin is a part of Judah. Where he had a larger tax base, now he's lost thousands of people because of one bad decision. So what does he do? He decides to get his armies together. Well, let's look at verse 18, even before that. I I like this one. King Rehoboam sent Adoram. This was the IRS man. And and he sent him to collect the money. And all of Israel did what? Stoned him. I guess this was a message to the king that we're not going to pay these high taxes that you want. So here's the thing. One man's bad decision led to the division of the kingdom and has now led to the death of somebody. Don't ever believe that one decision can affect a lot of people. I've heard people say, well, look, this, this is not about you. This is not about my family. This is about me. So here's a, here's a husband and wife that's married. Then here's a wife that falls in love with another man. And people are counseling her and saying, look, you need to work this out for your family and you can reconcile this. You people love each other. But she says, no. And this is a true story I'm giving you. She says, no, I, 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 I'm unhappy in that marriage. I have a right to be happy and I love him. So she says, this is my decision. It doesn't have anything to do with anybody else but me and him. So those two get together. They get yoked. They get married. And nobody even really thought about how it would affect the kids. But then a few years later, you've got 18 people that are traipsing through the pastor's office because 18 people need counseling because of one bad decision. See, I have a right to love whoever I want to love, and it's nobody's business but mine. That's not true. That's never true. Any decision you make is going to affect somebody. There's nobody on this planet that can make any decision that's not somehow going to affect somebody. Because if your decision involves another person, you already got two. Even if it doesn't involve a, a, a second party, it's still going to affect you and the people related to you. Decisions. And when we don't think about the consequences of our decisions, it's trouble. Here's a teenager. Besides, I don't want to listen to these older people talk to me about saving myself to a marriage. And I don't want to hear about abstinence. And why do I have to listen to stories like that? Everybody's doing it. It's all on the television. It's all in the magazines. Why do I have to wait till I get married? It's just a piece of paper. See? And so the young man and the young girl get together. And before you know it, the 16-year-old pregnant. Now, she doesn't have a job. He doesn't have a job. Neither one of them have graduated from high school. So who's going to raise the kids? Their parents. So now mom and dad have to start all over again. They hadn't even, they're not even done raising their own daughter. Now they got to start all over with another one. I remember one time my mother telling me as a, as a kid, she said, look, it's, it's, there's something wrong if, if a person is a grandparent and they're only in their late 20s. Okay? In their late 20s. They're grandparents. That means somebody's having kids when they're 14 and 15 and so on. Every decision that is made affects somebody else. When, when, you, when you make a decision to move to another place for a job and you've got to carry family along with you, it's going to affect them. 
going to affect your in-laws. If you choose to stay in a job that disappoints you and you're sad about it and you don't like it, it affects everybody else. Because now everybody's got to deal with your sadness when you come home. And you're murmuring and you're punching the walls and kicking stuff out in the backyard and all that kind of stuff. Every decision has consequences. Let's look at this a little, little bit more. Verse 19, Israel rebelled against the house of David unto this day. So a decision that you make or I make can produce rebellion. Scripture says in the book of Colossians to the parents, do not provoke your children to wrath. That means a parent can make a decision that produces wrath. Now this is a personal one, and I can use this, and I don't mind using it because it, it happens all the time uh, throughout throughout America, but when, when my parents divorced, I was, oh, four, maybe almost five, something like that. And one of the great joys of my life at that age, my dad worked the second shift at a steel mill, ran heavy equipment, and one of the things I enjoyed was I liked to stay up to 11 o'clock at night or so, and then when he'd come home, then I'd hide up under that pillows and the covers and all that. And then, of course, he'd come in, he'd see that big lump in there, then just jump on it and start tickling me. And he had a beard and we'd rub all that on me and all that. So that was fun. But, but now they're going their separate ways. And now this, you know, this is a, this affected me now. And I can remember as a, as a kid, uh, my mom and I would be there and I'd say, well, talk to Pops. Pop says he's going to be there or be here to pick me up Friday evening, 6 o'clock. So 6 o'clock, I got my little bag packed. It's by the kitchen door, and I'm sitting there by the kitchen door, and my, my mom is telling me, well, why don't you just go wait downstairs? I said, oh, no, Dad's going to be here in a minute. I'm sitting right here, kitchen door. Didn't move. So 8 o'clock, I'm at the kitchen door, still sitting there. She said, why don't you get ready to go to bed? Oh, no, Mom. He said, he's coming, going to be right here. Well, finally, she picked me up about midnight off that floor, put me in that bed. Not now, <clears throat> even though as a little kid, I wasn't terribly angry. I can tell you that my mom had some words. She, she had some words the next time she, she talked with him. But here's the thing. Now, I was a little kid, so I was too little to get a whole lot of bitterness inside of me. But think of how many 10-year-olds and 14-year-olds hear that. And that happens too. Scripture says, provoke not your children to wrath. That kind of a decision to go or not to go, can produce rebellion in kids. They say, well, why is he acting out like that? Why is she doing that? Maybe she wants attention. Maybe he's just angry. There'll be a lot of different, a lot of reasons. Let's look, look a little bit more. Verse 20, when Israel heard that Jeroboam was come again, they sent and called him to the congregation and made him king over all Israel. There was none that followed the house of David, but the tribe of Judah only. Remember, Benjamin is a part of Judah, so those are two tribes. Well, these people were so angry with Rehoboam, they created their own king. Now, that happens. That happens. This here also is why, why churches split. Yeah. This is why you can go, I won't even, even mention the area. You can, go, you, can, you can go in certain areas out here in the heartland, 
and, and, and every three streets, they've got a, a church. I mean, they're just about all about the same part of the same denomination, you know. But you, you have every three streets, there's a, a fellowship. Or you, you have eight or nine of one particular denomination in an area. And it starts because somebody crowned somebody else king because they disagree with a decision that was made. That's how it starts. Now, depending on how bad the decision is, that's going to validate whether or not the rebellion was actually necessary. But in this instance, the division in the kingdom didn't have to take place. Rehoboam could have listened to wisdom. That's what I'm trying to emphasize. We have, in these United States, a lot of different people, a lot of different cultures. Can, can you imagine if, if we had... 37 states that decided I am just absolutely tired of what's going on up there in D.C. And, and then you had 37 governors say we just ought to withdraw and secede. Well, I know exactly what would happen. You'd have a president that would call in the army and then the army and everybody else would have to go in and try to pull all this back together. And that's exactly what Rehoboam tried to do. Next thing he did in verse 21, he commanded everybody to come together to fight. And, the, and it says at the end of verse 21 to bring the kingdom again to Rehoboam. But God spoke through somebody in verse 22 and 23 and said, there's not going to be any fighting. This is, this is of me. There's not going to be any fighting. And, and everybody went back home in verse 24. So folks, division is something we always have to be very careful about. It is the adversary who comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. It is the devil who wants to divide families, marriages, homes, churches, relationships. Scripture says that if you have a friend that loves at all times, that you are a very fortunate person. But it's the devil who comes along and wants to sever relationships. You had somebody in your life that's close to you, devil wants to break that up because he doesn't want you to have anybody that can speak into your life and somebody that you can be close to. But when there's a, a period of division that's taking place, you, you've got to be willing to hear what God is saying, even if what God says is something you don't like. Rehoboam wanted to go to war. God spoke and said there's not going to be a war. And he had to live with it. He started his reign with 12 tribes, a whole nation. He's got to go the rest of his days with two. Two. Now that's, that's not good. We've got 90-something counties, 90-some-odd uh, counties in Nebraska. Imagine if, if there was such a division that the governor could only depend on the tax base of two counties. So you talk about problems. That, that, that would be a problem. Since Jeroboam and all of his tribes separated, we'll look at his bad decision now. Verse 25 and 26, he realized that since they're separated from Rehoboam, if the people continue to go to Jerusalem to worship God in the temple, their hearts are going to be turned back to Rehoboam. So he said, rather than letting that take place, let's build a rival place of worship, our own temple with our own priesthood. And that's what he did. Verse 28, the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said, it's too much for you to go to Jerusalem. She's saying it's too far, cost too much money, got to take off work to go. 
Behold the gods, your gods, O Israel, which brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So he created for them gods and said, these are the gods that you should worship because we don't want you to go back to support Rehoboam and unify the kingdom again. You see what happens with one bad decision after another just just starts spiraling out of control. And all of this is because of jealousy. He now has a position of power. The people have put him in power. And suddenly there's this desire to keep the people from coming back. Sometimes you hear people talk about the uh, unification of all these churches. And years ago, the World Council of Churches was really into trying to get everybody to go back to Rome. They wanted the Greek Orthodox Church and Russian Orthodox Church and all these different people to get together with uh, the, the papacy over there and figure out how everybody can become one again. Now, I'm going to tell you right now why I know it's not going to happen, because people who have become powerful in churches like that, they are not giving up that power. They're not giving up that power. They're not going to give it up to give it to somebody in Rome. That's how Jeroboam was. They'll look for other ways to, to hold on to the people. So you have to ask the question, who... Who do you receive counsel from? If you had to sit down and talk with someone, where do you get counsel? How do you receive counsel? Are you the kind of person that when you're in a jam, you, uh, you look for one of the advice columnists in the newspaper, write into them? <laughs> the dangerous people. Or, or are you the kind of person that you've got to, You've got a DVR Oprah to make sure you get this week's wisdom. Well, if, if, if you're not careful, you can, you can be misled. The scripture says, and I'll read it again, a wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsel. Here's where you're going to find the wisest counsel on the planet, right in here. The story's in this Bible. There's always someone in here that has traveled the road you and myself are traveling. Somebody in here. And it may take a little bit of time to dig it up, but you'll find a character in here who has a lifestyle somewhat similar to yours. If you've got a half-brother, you got it in here. If you've got adopted siblings, you got it in here. If you've been through a divorce, you got it in here. If you've lost a loved one, it's all in here. Somebody been sexually assaulted, it's in here. It's all in there. When we look at what they did, then God can help us to understand how to handle our own situation. Verse 29, he set the one calf in Bethel and the other he put in Dan. Now, I've been to both of these places. And these are high places up on a hill. And the first time I went to this area in Israel, the thing that caught my attention was, why in the world would anybody set up a rival place of worship here rather than just going to Jerusalem. And the reason they did it was the same reason that Jeroboam gave, gave for convenience. If I make that long trip to Jerusalem when I can build you a temple right here and you can worship a new God, but we'll say it's the same God that delivered you. You've got to be careful about that. Scripture says, let us not forsake the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is. So much the more as you see the day of the Lord coming. If you're not careful, 
There'll be people that'll, that'll say to you, look, there's, there's no sense in you fellowshipping with people and going to a church or a Bible study. After all, you can just sit at home and do it online these days. See? I mean, there, there are some fellowships there that, are, that are so good with it, they make it possible. You don't have to come to church. You can even pay your tithes online. That's convenient. You can sit right there in the bed, have your latte and your coffee and cappuccino. You don't even have to leave. And if you don't like what the preacher is saying, you just go to another website. Don't like that sermon today, so I'm going to turn that off. Verse 30. This thing became a what? Sin. Yeah. It started off as a good thing. That's what they believed. But it became a sin. Sometimes what you begin initially may in your own mind be something that's actually edifying, but it becomes a snare to your soul. The people went to worship before the one even unto death. The scripture says the wages of sin are death. The scripture tells us the paycheck, the rewards of sin is death. So it became a, a, a sin Unto them. Now, now, this is a very interesting thing in that God labels it a sin, but Jeroboam and the people participating did not acknowledge it as a sin. False worship. It's possible to be involved with false worship and not know that it's false worship. I think it was A.W. Tozer who said the essence of idolatry is to imagine things about God that are not so and then act like they are. So you take something that, that isn't real and you, you ascribe it to God and then you act like that's true. Now many people do that with their image of God. You hear people say things like that. Well, my God isn't like that. Well, is the one in Scripture like that? And Usually what they're saying is my God... Is never negative. My God would never say anything to me that, that would hurt my feelings or anything that's opposed to what I'm doing. But if God really is God, the one thing he will do is work to conform you to the image of his son, which requires him to point out things in my life and your life that need to be dealt with. Same thing parents do with, with their kids. This thing became a sin. It became a snare. It became a transgression. Well, look at verse 31. He made a house of high places and made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not of the sons of Levi. So he didn't even bother with holy, sanctified, consecrated people. He found some of the worst scoundrels on the planet that he could pay and ordain to be preachers, and he put them in positions of authority. Whether or not they were holy, I mean, that's beside the fact. Their character didn't matter. It, it would be like us going out into some of these uh, inner cities or places and finding gang members and then ordaining them as the pastors in the churches. That doesn't, doesn't even matter if they're saved. That's what he did. I'm curious, have you ever met a pastor that you didn't think was Christian? Wow. Have you ever met a preacher that you didn't believe was called to the ministry? Have you ever met a minister that when you watched him go about his day-to-day -day affairs and handling the things of God, 
that you wondered how in the world anybody ever gave him or her keys to the church. I've met folks like that. Yeah. Whenever I hear someone say, this is the 21st century, there's nobody hardly left that believes Jesus was born of a virgin, that he lived without sin, that he died on the cross at our place for other people's sins. Whenever I hear someone say, I'm just not so sure we ought to be preaching that Jesus was raised from the dead bodily, I'm thinking to myself, somebody's involved with false worship here. Because you have to wonder, what God is it that you're preaching on a Sunday morning? What are you teaching from the scriptures if, in fact, you deny the very truths that God commanded should be believed? Jeroboam even ordained a feast in the in the eighth month. And he made it like a holy day, just like they had down there in Jerusalem. So he did in Bethel, sacrificing unto the calves what he had made. The first commandment is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. A few weeks ago, I was teaching on the Ten Commandments. And one of the things I brought out was how person transgressed that first commandment. All of the other commandments are just going to be trespassed and transgressed also. Because the moment you, you, you take another God into your life or let another one develop, then quite naturally, killing doesn't matter. Because you don't care about people the way God wants you to. The Sabbath day won't matter to you. Lying won't matter. You certainly won't honor your mom and dad as God wants them to be honored because of that first commandment. This man has these people worshiping calves made out of gold. Now, every day out here, we drive up and down the road, and we see cows out in the field and bulls out in the field. Can, have you ever even thought about somebody making an image of a, of a cow or a bull in gold and then putting it in your backyard and then you going and bowing down and worshiping it? I can't imagine it. But you got several thousand people right here that did it. And the reason they did it, they had a king that misled them. And had an ordained clergy that said to them, this pleases God. People are naive when they do not know what the truth says. So let's finish up. Verse 33. He offered upon the altar that which he had made in Bethel, the 15th day of the eighth month, even in the month which he had devised of his own heart, ordained a feast unto the children of Israel, and he offered upon the altar and burnt incense. This man created his own God, created his own religion, became his own high priest, and he led the people in it all. Yeah, I've seen politicians do that. I, I recall a president one time who, 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 pre, who, who gave the eulogy at a funeral. During the eulogy of the funeral, went out of his way to make sure he castigated the true believers in the faith and, and made it seem like if, if you don't accept his own beliefs, then you're wrong. Introduced an entirely different kind of faith and, and, and religion. And I recall putting that on radio. You know, and I, I preached the, the gospel according to, then I named the president. I mean, there were people emailing all over the place. Please send me a copy of that message. Send a copy of that message. But the, the whole point of it was to demonstrate very simply this. You, you can have somebody that thinks they know something about religion 
that's involved with politics. And the whole point of it is never to introduce people to truth, but to create an image of God that isn't so. Because you want the masses of people to be pleased. That's, that's what we have right now. In this nation, we have men with men and women with women in churches, in pulpits. We have one individual I remember reading in a, I don't know if it was in a magazine or some, somewhere over in Ohio where I'm from. There's a man that's involved with polygamy. Supposed to be a Christian preacher. Multiple wives living together. He's pastor in the church, and folks in the church act like there's nothing wrong. I'll tell you what Paul said when he wrote to one of his children in the faith. He said, if anybody desires to be a bishop, let him be the husband of one wife. One. I, I, can't, I can't understand why anybody would want to try to do two at a time. <laughs> I've got my hands full with one. <laughs> How will we do this with two or three or more? But... Bad decisions can be caused by having bad counselors. Surround yourself with people that know God. Keep your face in the book and hear what God is saying because the decisions that we make will affect other people. You can, you can make good decisions naturally that will affect you in the future. One bad decision take you 10 years to live it down sometimes. Just one. And none of us are perfect. All of us know that if we could go back in time, there are a lot of things we'd do differently. Uh, maybe we'd have chose different vocations, maybe lived in different places, however that would have worked out. But we can't deal with the past because right now our present circumstance is a result of decisions we made yesterday. And whatever we're doing in the future is going to be the result of decisions we make today. So everybody's making decisions. I, I, my wife and I, we have to wrestle with decisions do, do in our, for our future. Do we want to spend all of our, the rest of our life in Nebraska? That's a, that's a question. That's a decision. And, and it's a decision maybe some of you have to, have to ask. We, we have to wrestle with, am I a product today of decisions that I made in the past? Yes. I don't, have, I don't have a whole lot of people I can blame about circumstances of my life. I chose the path to walk with God, chose to do what I'm doing. And it's the same thing with you. The only thing we can do is ask God to bring more blessings to the path that he's laid out for us. So pray and ask God to give you wisdom. Pray and ask God to give you wise counselors because we don't want to be divisive figures like Rehoboam. Yeah, let's pray. Father, we're grateful tonight for your word. We know that rebellion is an attitude of the heart that's not good. Lord, you even said that it's like the sin of witchcraft. So, Father, we ask you to guide us. Help us to see in the word all the things you want us to know. Help us to live every day close to you, consecrated and, and holy. Help us to keep foreign elements, and other gods out of our life so that we can live entirely unto you. And where you have found things in our life that need to be changed, point them out to us, God. Help us to live with you, for you. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen, amen, amen.